Right. That looks uh, looks pretty good. Lots of people jumping online, which is uh, good to see. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to this Reach Markets Meet the Fund Manager session. My name is Warwick Lace. I'm the Head of Investor Relations at Reach Markets, and I'll be hosting the session for you today. As uh, many of you would already know, uh, Reach Market hosts a, a bunch of different webcasts um, every week. We uh, host, uh, every second week rather, alternate Wednesday. We, meet, we host a Meet the CEO session where we have three ASX-listed companies uh, presenting uh, to us. Um, there are two trading webcasts uh, each week, uh, the next big trade and those that can do uh, for traders. And then we have this webcast, which is uh, Meet the Fund Manager. Uh, we do that once a month. And uh, you know, we get really uh, someone who we find uh, interesting and doing some, some different work in the funds management space to come and uh, uh, talk to you. The common theme of all those webcasts is that we give the audience the opportunity to ask questions directly of the guests. And we feel that's an important way and an interactive way for investors, companies and uh, and fund managers and other market participants to really engage and learn uh, and ultimately help people come to their investment decisions. So a couple of quick housekeeping matters. Um, if you'd like to ask a question, simply type it into your questions uh, box in, in your go-to panel, which you will see in front of you, and uh, we'll work our way through as many of those as possible. Uh, any information in today's session is general in nature only and uh, does not consider your personal circumstances. You need to consider for yourself whether it is appropriate for you. Um, so today I'm delighted to uh, welcome uh, Jerome Lander from Lucerne. Uh, Lucerne Investment Partners. Uh, he is the manager of the Lucerne Alternative Investments Fund. Um, and really the reason we uh, invited Jerome um, was today is, uh, as many investors would uh, would have experienced, the, the extreme volatility uh, in, in the market, and particularly through the, the February and uh, March period. Um, market fell more than 30% from, uh, from top to bottom during that period. And uh, Jerome's fund, and we've given Jerome a, a bit of a cheeky little nickname, uh, calling him Dr. Volatility. Um, Jer you know, Jerome's fund performed uh, exceptionally well and exactly as, uh, I guess, his, he had planned it and, and built the portfolio to perform uh, through those types of markets, being a, an absolute sort of type um, in, investor and, and, and looking to reduce, um, you know, the volatility and risk out of the markets as much as possible. So... We wanted to invite Jerome on and ask him um, how he goes about that process, how he goes about setting up the fund uh, to weather a storm uh, of that nature. Uh, from uh, Jerome, will take it through some of the numbers, but uh, you know, really, the, his fund, uh, the Lucerne Alternative Investments Fund, came off um, just over five percent when the market was uh, off. Uh, as I said, much, much more than that over that period. Um, so I'll pass over control now. Uh, Jerome, welcome. Uh, thanks very much for your time today. Um, I'll Thank give you. you uh, I'll give you the controls uh, to the presentation and um, we'll keep this interactive. We'll ask questions as they come in. Uh, but um, yeah, looking forward to, to hearing about uh, your fund. Uh, maybe if you wanted to just kick off and give us a little bit of a, a background. We, um, as I said, we cheekily called you uh, Dr. Volatility, but there's, um, there's, there's a reason the, behind the doctor bit as well. Well, there is. Um, thank you. Uh, look, and great to be here. And uh, thank you to everyone who's attending. Um, I hope that the next hour will be uh, worth your while. I certainly expect it will be, um, and that we give you some insight into into the markets and, and into what we do um, to help investors. 
But um, yes, I started out originally as a, a medical doctor before I got the investment bug. So, uh, um, and I came into the field of investment and the financial services industry with the view of a client, really. Um, and I think that's something that I've carried forward to this day. Of wow, you know, how do how do how do you actually meet? Um, you know, how do you best meet clients' needs? And I think a lot of the industry operates in sort of sort of outdated and archaic investment theory and does stuff that's kind of good for the industry but not actually necessarily good for investors or aligned with what investors really are looking for from fund managers. So um, certainly I've perceived uh, throughout my career and, uh, and even more so today that there's a massive need for fund managers to actually provide something of huge value to investors that they're not able to get anywhere else uh, and not able to do themselves. And that's really, that's really the, the sign of, um, of, of a useful service is that someone, someone provides you something you can't do yourself and, and which is of obvious and, and significant value to you. Um, so hopefully today we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit further detail in terms of uh, why that's the case. I've got you know, 25 years sort of investment experience, um, been very successful as, a, as an investor. And I mean that in the sense of when I say that, um, my clients have been very successful uh, as well, as in um, you know, they had a good, good, great investment results. And um, I think ultimately that's what, what we're here for. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, to presenting to you and uh, I'll, be, I'll be talking to you about the Lucerne Alternative Investments Fund. But um, I'm not giving you um, personal financial advice. Um, I don't understand your personal situations. I can only talk in... In, um, in kind of the terms I understand, um, but um, and I'd encourage you to um, to to see an advisor or, or a Lucerne advisor if you want to actually understand uh, more about how this might actually work for you. So um, I'm I'm going to talk first about the fund that we run, and then and then go into the markets a bit more. And I'm sure and I'm very happy to answer your questions. I love questions, so um, please uh, prepare all the questions you've got for me, um, and we'll talk about that. The presentation itself on the funds, you know, quite short, so. Hopefully we'll get through that and into questions um, quite quickly. But um, you'll see here, what is what is the Lucerne Alternative Investments Fund? Well, basically what it is, is it's a vehicle to, um, to target absolute returns for investors without taking lots of downside risks uh, in terms of, uh, it's a very different vehicle from what you might see or, or, or know of generally from the industry and funds management industry, which is you know, very much product that's built around a particular asset class, for example. So go, you know, an equities fund will go up and down with equities going up and down. Uh, bonds and cash will do what bonds and cash do. Well, this fund is really designed to take the best of what's out there in terms of the, all, all the funds management product that's out there, combine it into a portfolio that's targeting, you know, high absolute returns while minimising the risk of, of ever losing um, lots, of, uh, lots of your dough. So it's a diversified strategy. It's a multi-strategy. It uses very many underlying complementary investment strategies, including other fund managers, um, and it's it's designed for for that purpose. It it basically enables also investors get access to you know, leading investment product that they often aren't able to access themselves. So these the strategies we invest in are often closed or inaccessible to to retail investors. Um, we look globally for our investment strategies, and we invest globally. So um, a lot of the strategies you, you basically, you know, wouldn't be able to access yourself or wouldn't be able to access at the fees we're getting them for for you. Um, so, um, you know, people can invest with as little as $50,000 and um, the fund, importantly, is, is monthly liquid. So you're not stuck in the product for the next 10 years. Um, you can actually um, in, invest in it and, and be able to get your money out if you're not happy. 
Um, that being said, I, I, we, I think this sort of strategy, once people get invested, they're actually very happy because the return profile is very much designed around what, mo what a lot of people are actually looking for. So um, it is designed, the strategy is designed to be a core diversified investment solution for investors, which can be used as a standalone fund or as their absolute return solution. Um, so uh, a lot of people listening on this call might invest in equities directly and are looking for a fund manager to do something different for them that they can't do themselves. Well, they would sit into, in, in that bucket. Equally, a lot of investors at the moment will recognise that, you know, equities, property and bonds, and especially the defensive assets, don't provide much in terms of the uh, and are really looking for something to do with large cash allocations, which doesn't expose them to large downside risks from markets and which can still earn them a decent return. And certainly um, this strategy is designed uh, for that purpose as well. Um, so we expect the strategy to be highly competitive um, with other, other similar or related multi-asset or diversified investment solutions out there, um, other options that investors might have. And that's really um, because the expertise we're bringing into the in, into the fund, uh, the, the you know the very holistic approach we take to the fund, and the fact that we're actually able to invest, unlike a lot of other similar product, in the best of what's out there. Uh, we're actually actually actively looking for that, as opposed to saying we can be the best at everything ourselves. Um, we're actually looking to um, bring all that into our into our fund. Um, it is a diversified strategy, and um, and hence is a lot safer than a single strategy uh, fund manager and can be used for much more substantive portfolio allocations as a result. Uh, at heart, right. what we right. Just maybe quickly yep. on, yep. On, on that, sort of for people viewing it in that alternative bucket, has that um, has, has the size of the allocations towards the, the, the alternative bucket shifted uh, meaningfully in sort of in recent years? Are, are people uh, thinking differently about the alternative bucket versus um, sort of the equities, bonds and cash? Well, look, yes, um, the answer is yes. Alternatives allocations have gradually increased over time. Uh, and in theory, alternatives allocations are actually um, terrific, basically. I mean, people, if you, if you put them into a model or you do something, it will tell you, it'll tell you put lots of money into alternatives. The problem that the industry has had at large, or investors have had it in, in, when investing in alternatives, is they ha haven't delivered. They haven't found they've got results out of their alternatives allocation. And that's because not, alterna not all alternatives are created equal. You actually need to uh, need to be investing in the better ones to get a result and a good result. And so um, we're we're definitely um, we're definitely addressing that need through this strategy. In that um, you know we've, we're showing we have the expertise um, to bring the the you know the better alternative portfolio to investors and really provide. And this includes not just um, not just retail or wholesale investors, but actually institutional investors, financial advisors, people out there who. Who, want to ha who do have a large alternatives bucket they want to populate, but simply haven't been able to populate it with strategies that, that, it, that perform for them. Um, so um, we think that's, uh, that's a crucially important thing. It's, quite, it's a necessary part of portfolios. It's a growing part of portfolios. But at the end of the day, uh, it needs to be a part of the portfolio that also performs for investors. And, and I think that's, that's where we're finding a lot of our, our growth and expecting a lot of our growth to come from. So perhaps we'll just move to the next slide. Um, I'll just do that. I'll, I'll move the slides along for you, Jerome. Terrific. Um, so um, we, we, as I mentioned earlier, we really think um, you know the merits of an approach like this is that it's very client centric. It's actually trying to provide. It's trying to use investment now to to meet a need that investors have that they can't necessarily um, meet themselves. And our approach and our philosophy is really built around client success 
rather than just something that's easy for us to do. Uh, like if you wanted to do something easy, you wouldn't be doing what we'd be doing. Uh, what we're doing. We're, we're doing something which is actually a sophisticated um, um, challenge. It's a challenging approach, it's, uh, but it's absolutely worthwhile. And um, we think it's, it's really targeting that, that client, what clients need as opposed to just saying, look, we're going to go up and down with, with shares uh, as, simply as, that, as simple as that. And that's something obviously clients are quite capable of, of doing themselves. So um, we, we believe in that importance of actually taking responsibility and having the courage to be different from the mainstream. And that a genuine diversification in this day and age actually requires you to have an adaptive, active investment approach, um, which takes account of changing market conditions and manages market risks. At the moment, of course, asset classes you know, broadly are very expensive. I mean, I have the view that we're actually in a big bubble, uh, actually, and we can talk about that a bit later on, where future returns from, from, from investing may be incredibly low um, across the board in terms of traditional asset classes. And that means that traditional portfolios, which are comprised purely of that market-dependent risk um, or very heavily centric, centred on that, uh, may struggle to provide, or in fact will struggle to provide the sort of investor returns that many investors are looking for and will fail them, you know, basically. Their whole portfolio will fail them in, 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 in quite, a, quite a high likelihood. So that's not a great situation for the industry uh, in the, at the end of the day or for investors. Um, and we hence think that um, we need to do better than that, and, and that's what, we've, uh, what, we're, what we're doing here. So um, we think markets are ever-changing. They're always full of um, uh, risk and opportunity, and uh, risk management is actually key to any successful long-term approach. So philosophically, we take a leaf out of Warren Buffett's book, which is rule number one, um, don't lose lots of money, and rule number two, see rule number one. And if you don't lose lots of money, um, very importantly, you also uh, have the benefit of compounding working for you. Whereas if you take the risk of losing 30, 50, 70% of your portfolio, uh, your long-term compounding doesn't work very well. You know, once you lose uh, 50% of your portfolio, you need to make 100% just to get back to where you were. Um, so it becomes incredibly difficult to do that, obviously. So we think a lot of the traditional investment approaches are exposing themselves to excessive market risk. And if you go to a, a many, many industry, you know, many funds out there and, and many other investors out there, investment firms or advisors, we think that they're exposing investors to unnecessarily high risk for the sort of re returns that are actually available and that we need to think quite differently if we're going to get a different result from that. And hence we have. So tradition, traditionally, I guess, people would have, um, you know, in the accumulation phase, be, be, traditionally prepared to take on more risk and to ride out volatility in the, uh, with the thinking that, you know, you've got time to, to compound. But um, I think it's some of the new thinking coming around to the fact, well, you know, those, you know, those capital loss events uh, are, you know, are, are just knocking back people back decades and the, the, you're compounding from such a low base that you're, um, it, it takes forever to catch up. Look, absolutely, and I think there's another problem with all that theory that, you know, we can take the volatility in a portfolio, and that is that we actually we can't. What we find is that investors uh, very commonly chase returns up, both up and down. So they get invested at the top of markets, and they're still out at the bottom. And I don't know about you, Warwick, but I can't stand losing money. And if, if, if my portfolio was down 20%, I'd be pretty gutted ever, you know, frankly. And I think that um, to, to say to investors, yeah, it's okay, you can write out the volatility when you're down 20, 30, 40, 50%. I just think it's not something, once you get beyond about 10% losses, I think investors become very intolerant of that, and understandably so, and they, they lose confidence in their investment managers. So I think the job of an investment manager in many ways is to make sure that you stay within the realms of what's comfortable for investors so that they can actually carry forward and continue with the investment strategy and see the returns that come from that. 
and this is where the industry fails investors because they say to people, no, no, just just hold the line, stick stick with this strategy for the long term, it's all going to be fine, and not taking taking account of the fact that, geez, when you're down a lot, you really just can't handle it as an investor. It's not something that that's tolerable. We know now that SMSF investors, I think I read something just recently that said, you know, 27% of their portfolio at the moment is in cash, and I would propose to you that having all that money in cash at the moment on a longer-term view is a terrible idea. Um, but part of the reason for that is they really can't find some way to allocate that cash, which is actually not going to expose them to excessive risks that they're not willing to tolerate. So uh, yeah. I think that's that's the problem where we fail. You know, most most investment products and fund managers you know, fail investors in lots of ways in providing them those strategies that that are that are that, that do smooth um, the returns a great deal and do particularly take away the downside, um, which I think is incredibly important. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a holistic investment approach. So we actually look at both top-down and bottom-up approaches when, um, when managing money, and we think both are equally important. So um, you know, we're not a single strategy fund manager that just says, look, we're going to buy value stocks, or we're going to buy growth stocks, or we're just going to buy stocks, or we're just going to buy property, or we're just going to buy bonds. And whatever that market does is going to be the main driver of our return. We are absolutely, absolute return investors looking for opportunity everywhere and looking for risk everywhere as well. And um, hence, we, we, we have to incorporate um, top-down and bottom-up approaches. I mean, a top-down approach includes considering factors, not exclusively, such as macroeconomic, thematic views, behavioral views, so how investors are positioning themselves, crowding, uh, sectoral views, and, and country assessments, uh, looking for opportunity and risk equally. Our bottom-up approach is based on detailed strategy research and manager research. So we actually do our own manager research. Obviously, we rely upon all of this. We're doing our own research. And um, we're targeting management excellence in every asset class, wherever we can find it. And, and actually considering those, uh, those managers and those strategies in the context of the investment environment we have um, to ensure that they're actually able to um, meet what we're expecting for them in a portfolio context. So we do look at you know when to when you know very importantly we, we focus on when it's best to be in a strategy when it's best to be out of it um, how much to have in a strategy what it contributes to the portfolio as a size our position sizing is adaptive and responsive to market risks as they as they change through time and um, we're always focusing regardless of our views on ensuring the strategy um, has you know lots of diversification because we know that um, having been around a long time and managed these sorts of portfolios for a very very long period of time. We know that we will be wrong sometimes and we won't always get it right and hence we don't believe in having all of our money in one basket. I think that's part of the problem we have with the traditional approach is that basically it's very dependent upon what inflation interest rates do. Uh, we don't want our results for our clients to be dependent upon what government does or what interest rates do or what inflation does. We want to get a good result regardless and so hence we need to look at making sure we're diversified and that we're protected against uh, our own views uh, being wrong as well. Um, obviously, we will wait to our conviction, um, but we never want to do so excessively, and we want to be cognizant of the risk that comes with that. Um, so our selection process when it comes to fund managers is very detailed. Um, uh, I'm trained in this. Um, I spent a long time um, being head of manager research for a retail uh, research firm, um, basically uh, being a portfolio manager, asset allocator, etc. So we, we have a detailed investment process that we, we abide with, we follow in terms of actually looking for strategies and assessing them as whether they're of value to us or not in the context of what we're trying to achieve. And um, we are absolutely um, you know, focused on, on, on that uh, and, and making sure that we not only assess managers initially, but we'd actually monitor them through time to assess whether they're still meeting our needs and, and what weighting we should be giving to them. So it's an ongoing you know, 
ever ever ongoing process that we entertain there and that we uh, that we need to entertain to actually make sure that we get to the uh, get to the result we're looking for. Factors we consider when assessing fund managers include their independence, um, the liquidity of the strategy, the capacity of the strategy, the competitive advantage they have. Very importantly, their risk management, um, uh, the track record. Uh, if there is uh, if, if there is you know different market environments, how that track record was in different market environments. Um, the correlation in terms of the, the portfolio that we have, or obviously looking, we've already got a portfolio that's performing very well. How does another fund manager add to that or subtract from that? What what fund managers need to change? Um, staff turnover at the fund manager, the character of the people involved. We make our own assessments of that, whether they're aligned with investors, whether they're motivated to get the result that we also want them to get for our investors. So it's a it's a it's a kind of we do manager due diligence. We um, we, we basically interview fund managers, we look at written material, we get a whole bunch of information that investors themselves would never get access to if they weren't in the field, and we're able to use that information to make informed assessments of uh, whether something is a contributing, uh, likely to be a contributor in the future to what we're trying to do. This is very different, I might add, from what most people do with the manager selection process, which is quite simply you know, track past performance in a, quite a naive way, uh, without considering risk or market environment and without considering much more detailed qualitative views and assessments. And uh, that's why they fail, choosing managers. Like a lot of people I'm sure have, been, have experienced that, that are listening in here, that have chosen a fund manager, it hasn't worked out. Um, many people in institution, institutions, in, in investment firms uh, in Australia and elsewhere also don't choose fund managers select, um, successfully many times because they isolate the manager research process to something that's just about manager research without considering the broader market environment um, because actually it is a skilled assessment to actually successfully choose um, fund managers. And yeah. hence um, it is something that's actually worth um, having someone else do who can actually do it. Um, but um, yes, that, that we're very much focused on, on, on that detailed process from bottom-up point of view as well as uh, the top-down uh, top information. So out of, out of your 150 meetings with, with managers uh, during a year, that, that uh, gets whittled down to a, uh, a short list of, of how many? Yeah, well, we, we basically have fund managers that we're investing in at any point in time are about 12 or 15 uh, that are already in our portfolio. And then um, we have a reserve list, I guess, of fund managers we would use, uh, we would consider using in certain circumstances. And uh, we're obviously always on the lookout for um, particular types of fund managers that we think might be complementary to what we're already doing or to the type of market environment we're going into, some fund manager that might add something to our portfolio. So it's it's very uh, it's very iterative in the sense of um, we're we're looking to we're looking at where we already are at in the portfolio, monitoring those managers, and then looking for additional ideas that then would complement what we already have. So we don't look at a manager in isolation and just say this is a great fund manager. We're absolutely interested in, in how that fund manager would contribute to our portfolio objectives and how our portfolio is already positioned. And what would the churn be like? How often does a fund manager come off the bench? Well, they certainly, they, we certainly have um, fired uh, in the last year altogether um, more than a couple of fund managers. So um, we absolutely, we obviously had a massive shock event earlier this year. Um, a couple of the fund managers disappointed in terms of the expectations, um, in terms of what risk management, particularly in terms of what we what we were expecting or hoping from them. Um, basically, we're, we're very quick. And I think one of the two actually, uh, if, if we're proven wrong in terms of our assessments uh, from a qualitative point of view or in terms of our thesis, we are very quick to remove a fund manager. This is quite different from the industry at large. You'll tend to stick with fund managers forever and forever in a day. If we think the fund manager is good and they underperform and we understand why and all that sort of stuff, we will absolutely stick with them. 
Um, however, if we have a failure in terms of key qualitative criteria, we, we won't stick with them or a thesis break, we'll absolutely remove them. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, we are, we are, we are here to deliver performance. And uh, we expect the same. We expect high standards of the fund, fund managers we're, we're using uh, are absolutely, in many cases, outstanding fund managers, the cream of the crop that's out there. Uh, and uh, we expect them to be, be that. So we do have very high standards. Uh, and um, if they meet them, great. Uh, we'll continue with them. We often change weightings. I mean, one of the things that doesn't highlight is just how much we change weightings to fund managers, depending upon how we're trying to position the portfolio as a whole to manage risk. Um, but um, you know, if they don't meet the standards on an ongoing basis that we have for them, um, we are, you know, we are, we are obviously fund managers ourselves. We're, we're very success. We understand uh, what's going on, and we're able to make assessments of that, of that nature that enable us to decide whether a fund manager is contributor to our portfolio objectives or not. Okay. So I'll probably skip over this. This basically um, basically just um, just talks about my history of managing diversified portfolios successfully. Um, I think there's a graph there showing that um, just how much better we did. Um, last year was a very interesting year. I think the next slide talks to this as well. We did see a big down market, a big up market, and um, you know most most underlying asset classes failed, and we had massive outperformance of of those asset classes as a result from our strategy. Um, in fact, most diversified funds failed. In fact, just about everything you can think of failed over the last year. Um, there are some single strategy approaches. Obviously, if you're a tech growth-based manager, you did very well. Um, but in terms of diversified strategies, very little did well. Uh, and we did. Um, and I think that's a very uh, illustrative thing for investors because you know, we, we, we are out there saying, look, we are going to manage downside risk. We are going to be you know, relatively defensive in down markets. And we are actually going to... Um, to, to uh, look to make money uh, um, the rest of the time and actually because we're not having big drawdowns, we're actually able to produce good returns through time in a compounded basis. Now importantly with this track record you see here is that you'll see the dark line was when I became portfolio manager. Um, we had a, a, a previous, uh, previous team ran the strategy um, up till that time. Uh, obviously the results were um, pretty consistent with you know, what many others deliver, which is not good enough. For Lucerne, um, and Lucerne um, changed changed uh, changed that team to make sure that they had a offering which delivered to expectations. I, I came on as portfolio manager, and we had a change of the entire investment committee, uh, or not the entire investment committee, but um, you know key key individuals in the investment committee. And and since that time, we've been faced with uh, much more testing investment conditions than we've had before that. But despite that, we've actually shown that we're actually um, producing great results. What's not here in these results is our August results, uh, which were very strong as well um, and are being finalised at the moment. Um, but, um, yeah, we continue to deliver for investors and have shown that we can manage both down and, and up markets successfully, which is actually a very unusual thing from a, a diversified or absolute return strategy over, that, mm -hmm. over this period of time. Uh, we remain very confident that we can actually deliver great results for investors through time. So as I mentioned before, and this is one of the key things that I think a lot of people listening to this will be interested in, is that you, know, they're, they're, you might be sitting in cash, you might recognise that cash and bonds just don't offer you any return anymore. You might recognise the fact that, geez, I can't go and put 100% of my portfolio in equities or property. It's just too risky for me. I could get wiped out given the economic circumstances. What else do I do? Well, you'd probably be looking to say, well, how do I invest in something that actually can make me some money? but which isn't going to wipe me out if things turn south and uh, turn sour. 
And I think what we show here with this strategy is that you know, when shares go down in black, uh, we've managed to hold up really well in comparison, uh, including through some of the most dramatic market falls throughout the entire history, which were in February and March, um, where we had, you know, we basically suffered um, minimal or low losses uh, at all points in time. And, and I think that's, that should give people some confidence that we actually are able to protect their capital if things fall apart and that that's not really a good reason not to invest um, in, in our strategy. Um, in fact, it's a key reason to invest in our strategy because, you know, down markets provide plenty of opportunity uh, for us. And, um, you know, I'm very comfortable losing a few percent if I can make a lot, of, a lot more money on the other side of that. I'm very uncomfortable with going to sort of double-digit losses. Um, so um, we're not saying we'll never lose people money. Of course, we, we will lose small amounts of money, but we're just saying that's not important in the scheme of things if you're a man invested. Um, it's, and that that provides us, in fact, we think it's a great environment looking forward for active management for people like us um, who are actually doing something very different um, from the mainstream because there actually is plenty of opportunity out there to actually deliver good results for investors. Your strategy sounds, um, I think we mentioned this uh, uh, the last time we spoke, Jerome, uh, similar to, to future fund uh, type strategy. Um, the, the performance certainly over the last uh, last six months uh, looks very different to the future fund performance. Yeah. Um, what what um, you know? What do you think are the main uh, uh, you know strategies can be similar, but obviously execution is um, is is where the money gets made and lost. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think oh, I'm flattered you compare us to the future fund because they're widely considered as you know, Australia's leading institutional investor. Um, now, uh, our approach is 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 very similar to them in terms of the mentality. You know, they are actually a much more diversified portfolio than uh, the typical uh, superannuation fund and much more conscious of downside risk management. Um, so they're actually very similar to us in that way. Obviously, we're liquid, we're liquid, whereas they're not. And you can invest in us, and you can't invest in them. That's key differences. Another difference is that since we've come on board, we've actually done a much better job than them at delivering results. And I think part of the reason for that is that it's a, you know, I've managed a $12 billion portfolio and we're quite capable of managing a multi-billion dollar portfolio, but the, the, it is a lot harder to manage $100 or $200 billion successfully than it is to manage um, uh, smaller portfolios. Um, that's the reality of it. It's quite different from what you hear in the mainstream media, which is, oh, scale is good, scale is good, cheaper fees are good, blah, blah, blah. Absolute rubbish. I mean, what actually matters is net of fee returns to investors. And if you are going to be an active manager, you need the ability to be agile. You need to have bring the sophistication of a group like the Future Fund to assessing fund managers and the opportunity set, but actually be able to execute against it um, in a way which um, is agile, is dynamic, um, etc. And, um, you know, basically we've absolutely um, slaughtered them and others in terms of our performance and uh, I would expect that to not be unlikely in the future either frankly I mean like we probably can't probably can't you know we're not obviously going to um, we obviously have our objectives and we can't promise anything but um, because we are agile and we are investing in great fund managers that just simply aren't accessible to groups like the future fund in many cases because they're just too big to be able to invest in these strategies um, we have an advantage uh, that they don't have. Often what you see with smaller funds, they don't bring the level of sophistication. They have the opportunity set, like smaller investors do, but they don't bring the knowledge or the sophistication to the task that's necessary to be able to deliver against that. So um, we, we do, and, and I think that um, you know, we welcome the opportunity to compete against the future fund and others in future, 
and I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to trouncing them, hopefully. But uh, we will we will see. When you've had performance like you've had over the past uh, few months, and you, you know clearly you've opened a considerable gap, um, you know between you, yourselves and uh, and some of the competitors, is, is attempting to try and lock in that that performance that performance gap, and you know maybe just move closer back closer to the index and and uh, you know and and maintain um, what sort of how do you how do you sort of think through that? Well, it's not tempting for me, no, and I think it can be very tempting for, for investors generally to do something like that. Um, for a start, we're not index investors, right? Um, we don't care what the index does. We really want to deliver for invest, our, our clients and our investors, regardless of what the Australian shares do. In fact, if Australian shares were to go up very strongly and do 30%, right, for example, um, then we would underperform them because we're not actually, we're not taking that level of market risk where we would be competitive with returns like that if the market, so it's important to recognise that as well in an extremely strong up market, we would underperform. Um, but as I said, on a multi-year view, I find that to be an unlikely scenario that investors, certainly it's not the key thing that's, a, that's an issue for investors, I feel. The key issue for investors is that their shares, their property, their bonds, everything else they traditionally invest in just won't work. That's the key risk. And that it's all driven by the underlying common risk factor, so they're actually not diversified. Effectively, they're gambling yeah. on something remaining the case. Um, so... For us, um, you know, it, none of that is tempting. I mean, we're very focused on those absolute 7% plus returns per annum. Uh, we want to deliver upon them over the three to five year period um, with, you know, great, you know, much greater consistency and reliability than what you might get from other strategies. And, and we think, and I personally have the view that a multi-year view, it's very risky to be investing in, in, in lots of things and that if we can deliver upon those returns, which I think we absolutely can, um, then we can absolutely show that we're of value to investors. So we're, we're doing something they can't get elsewhere, and that um, that's I just think that's an extremely valuable thing to be able to provide for investors, and, and that's hence why, we're, why I'm running a strategy like this because I think it's just it's hugely it's hugely it's just not something they're getting elsewhere. Well, we can probably get into some of the uh, specifics here, and we've had a question in from uh, from Paul who asks for sort of actual examples of uh, of, of managers and. Uh, and, and positions that uh, that you um, that you're in at the moment, or um, sort of gone through recently. Sure. So this is a recent portfolio allocation, just to give some colour to what we're talking about here with this strategy. So as mentioned, we're a diversified fund, and we invest in a number of different underlying investment strategies and managers in order to get that diversification and in order to um, get an active return, or contribute to an active return beyond our portfolio weightings changes. So. These weightings are always changes, changing um, in response to, as I mentioned, market risks and opportunities. So it's not a, it's by no means a stretch of imagination. It's just a static portfolio. It's actively managed, and we really are active. Um, we're very active, and um, we're, we're very willing to move portfolio allocations around as, as the need arises and as opportunity presents itself to us from our research process, et cetera, and from market conditions. So an example uh, of a fund that um, we've had great results from. I mean, I think in terms of underlying strategies, um, there, you know, the beauty about our portfolio approach is that, you know, it, it's, there's, there's basically, because these are active underlying managers, um, they have very varying performance. So through time, in a dramatic year like we saw last year, if you look at the whole universe of active managers and you sort of took the range of what the performance results were, they ranged from minus 50 to plus 50%, uh, whereas our range was circa minus 20% to plus 40% in terms of the underlying investment strategies we actually used. And, you know, when you actually create that 
positive skew the returns versus the broader broader market. That's how you get results overall. That's how we ended up with um, last financial year a result of circa seven percent uh, when everyone else did zero or negative. Um, because we took out the negative return results out of the portfolio, we avoided in many cases not just what we invest in, it's what we don't invest in. We avoided yeah. the worst of the worst out there, and uh, we had some of the best of the best uh, results out there as well. So if you do that, um, then you end up with great overall results. Um, an example of a fund manager that we used that um, that did very well last year uh, was our, un- perhaps unsurprisingly to people given what happened, was our healthcare um, exposure. So um, this manager was able to make a lot of money from you know, a, 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 the vaccine and diagnostic stuff related to um, COVID-19. Obviously, there was a lot of opportunity from healthcare coming out of that crisis, and, um, and we extracted great results um, from them through that period of time. Another example of exposure that worked very well from us, which is, um, which is you know, also got that top-down element. In fact, it was predominantly top-down, was our call on um, precious metals. So we were of the view that Precious metals had really only one way to go, uh, which was up, and so we we invested in in them um, to in, in a meaningful exposure to actually um, get get exposure to that and uh, and and benefited greatly from from the results last year. Again, similar sort of results to to the healthcare exposure, um, terrific results uh, in terms of up, up market contribution. Um, we have predominantly in terms of the strategies we invest in. If you want to sum it up more simply, than you see the boxes here. You know, the majority of the strategies are long-short in nature. So we find plenty of opportunity in shorting companies. We do think at the moment, uh, and well, this has been a trend going on for a long time, there's a lot more companies you actually don't want to be invested in than you do want to be invested in out mm. there, actually. There's relatively few winners in the markets out of these poor poor conditions that we see, and there's lots and lots of losers. And so the, the ability to short, actually, as a completely different from most people's mentality, um, can take can take advantage of those underperformers through time, but it can also um, protect your portfolio from the dramatic market swings, very importantly. So we think a long-short approach is absolutely aligned, if it's well-managed, very well-aligned with what investors are actually looking for, absolute return investors. So hence we have a bias towards using uh, long-short managers. Um, the trick here, of course, is, is being in the good ones and, uh, and knowing when they've got the opportunities to, to, to invest in things that, that will work, such as you know healthcare, for example, or or precious metals, as, as the case may be, or, or whatever. Um, so you know, we the, the point here, though, of this slide, obviously, well, there's lots of points that come out of all this, but you know, the point here is that when you invest with us, you're not investing in one strategy. You're investing. You're going to have exposure to various, numerous, complementary, underlying strategies. Our strategies have low correlation with each other, which is great. Brings down our overall portfolio risk. So even though the underlying strategies can have a very wide range in some cases of performances, um, when you put them together, the actual volatility that comes out of the strategy is actually quite low, and um, we we uh, we uh, have we have experienced that. Um, you know, whereas the market went you know down 30, 35 percent, um, our losses were six percent. Um, so that gives you an idea of the downside volatility we took was was minuscule compared with the market, and in fact we've had you know very good upside um, despite that uh, as well. Uh, we've actually experienced bigger upside on a month than we had downside in a downside month, which is very different. Which is very much the skew I think investors you really want to provide for investors if you can. This is very unusual, by the way, to actually have mm-hmm. bigger up months than you have down months. Um, but it gives investors that 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 uh, the skew they're looking for. I mean, I, when I'm investing, I want an upside skew. I want to have if if something's going to surprise, I want it to surprise the upside and not to the downside. And very much we think about the portfolio and the portfolio constituents in that light. We manage the downside risk first. 
and then we look for upside opportunities second. And hopefully we can get both of those things together. In many cases, I think, um, you know, precious metals is an example of where we got that, I guess, last year. Hmm. So just in terms of some of those actual managers, are there particular names and managers that you want to do call out now? Um, I think the US ones we're not allowed to mention for regulatory regulatory reasons. Um, the I, I don't I don't we to be to be frank we don't have a big focus on talking about the names of the underlying managers for lots of reasons. Um, uh, but um, but um, and, and it's, they're not actually necessarily key to to understanding the strategy either, as you might appreciate. Um, yeah. But um, um, I'm just trying to think of some names that we, we could actually um, provide you with, um, but uh, I might have to come back to that at the moment. But um, yeah, in many cases there'll be names that like you, you won't even, the investors will never have even heard of, um, frankly. So I don't think it'll mean anything to people anyway. Um, the you bigger point is that we have the skills to select them, you know, Correct. one that you are actually accessible to them. Like we have a minimum, we have like a ISAM, for example, is a CTA manager in the States that, you know, is a minimum investment of a million dollars to be in it. Um, so that's 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 a manager that, that that we've used and and that investors really mostly couldn't even access even if they wanted to, um, yeah. but you know to give you an idea of, of and it probably doesn't the name probably means absolutely nothing to um, mm. to most of the audience here. So when you're compiling the portfolio like this, uh, are you deliberately picking things that sort of um, hedge each other out and and balance each other out, or are you yep. more looking to select? Things that would stand along, stand on their own two feet in 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 given market situations, sort of idiosyncratic sources of return, or what's the what's the uh, long term plan? All of the above. Ultimately, we have risk management at the individual manager level, selection level, but we also have risk management at the overall port. Very importantly, and most importantly, at the overall portfolio level. So you can take on some riskier exposures um, because we're able to hedge the the risks that they're exposed to elsewhere in the portfolio. So we're very, but yeah, we are very much focused on managers that are, are different from what are, qualitatively from the other managers we have, and in terms of the asset classes and opportunity sets they're taking advantage of, um, we're very much focused on that, and we also check that quantitatively to ensure that our qualitative interpretation of the low correlations they bring to the portfolio have actually been have has actually been the case historically as well, and and we find that has been the case. So and, and that's part of the reason why we've had such you know this is this when people talk about diversification being the only free lunch in finance. I mean, this is what real diversification actually looks like. Um, whereas if you think about the traditional strategy, which is just equities and bonds, the 60-40 allocation or you know, very similar to what equity, some equity property bonds all expose the underlying common risk factors, they aren't really diversified. Uh, historically, bonds and equities have been diversified for a period of time when yields were high and interest rates were coming down. But the environment we're going into now means that bonds may no longer be protective and may, may lose those correlation benefits. When we're thinking like that in our portfolio, like how do we make sure that the allocations we have are actually going to be diversifying with each other and that when something doesn't perform, something else is more likely to perform and offset those losses. So we very much think in, in terms of that and that's how we're able to provide investors with genuine diversification and to be feel confident that you know it's extremely unlikely we have dramatic losses. Yeah. A question from Al looking forward. Um, what, do you, uh, what do you expect from the markets over the next uh, uh, 12 months or so and uh, how, you, uh, how are you prepared? Yeah, well, look, um, I guess that the answer is we're, you know, we're all weather strategies, so we always want to be repaired, regardless of what I think of the markets. You know, that's, that's, that, that this, the inherent design of the strategy is about trying to make sure we're prepared no matter what happens, uh, and, and as I've explained previously. Yeah. But we obviously also have our views on terms of what, you know, what may happen going forward, and 
Um, and we do think there's a number of risks in the markets that, that aren't being appreciated. We do think the markets are very speculative and very frothy at the moment. So um, there's been massive monetary policy easing that have been applied against markets that have been imputed into market prices. If you talk to a lot of uh, market participants, they're of the view that you know, interest rates remain low forever, yet we know historically people have had absolutely no predictive power over what interest rates will be like three or five years in the future. So we think that's a very dangerous gambit to say, look, interest rates will be low forever um, just because the Federal Reserve says they'll be low for three years or something of that sort. Um, yeah. We think that, um, that that's a dangerous, there's a lot of dangerous assumptions being implied into market prices and, and into most participants thinking about markets. Many people you talk to would accept the fact that bonds and cash no longer provide an adequate return for their risk. This is very important. I think in a multi-year view, would absolutely agree with that. And that um, the the inflation is you know re returning having a return that's kind of locking in sub inflation type return is really quite unsatisfactory, and so we hence you know to the point around you know sitting in cash can can end up being a very bad thing to do um, uh, over over a period of time because you are missing out on returns that you could be getting elsewhere through us or or others. Um, that being said, it's um, it's because of where equity pricing is at. It's historically broadly expensive. Um, there is a problem there. And as I mentioned, there's numerous fast ways of the equity market, which are things you just don't want to be investing in anymore. They're, 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 they're not able to do really do well in the sort of adverse economic environment that we're in and may well stay in. We're worried about lots of things the market's not worried about, such as um, stagflationary risks. Um, we think the economies are being run very poorly, um, that there's, there's, there's um, terrible, uh, terrible, you know, imputed long-term returns being implied by market pricing today and yet there's this dreadful economic backdrop and there's a big divide between asset pricing, which is very large, and um, the size of the economy and the economy's growth, which is actually very small in comparison, and that this excessive financialization of markets may well come under threat, and it definitely will come under threat over time um, because of all the imbalances that it's created. There's a huge debt bubble going that's still out there. Um, there's obviously a very risky election period coming, for, uh, coming through. There's worsening um, Chinese-US relations, um, a Cold War of sorts that's actually going on at the moment. I mean, there's any number of huge market risks that you can point to and economic risks that you can point to in the future, which for us mean, at the very least, um, you need to think about risk management uh, first and yeah. foremost, how, how your portfolio is designed to weather um, very different economic circumstances and market circumstances than what we've been in. Uh, in the last, you know, since 1982 and interest rates were mid-teens and they've come down all this way and the asset prices have gone up all this way. Um, we think that, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, the it, alternatives warrant a much bigger portion of people's portfolios. Good active management, which can return, provide returns outside market returns is absolutely crucial. So we just think, um, and we think most people, funnily enough, aren't thinking like this because they just tend to extrapolate what's happened and think that the, everything good is just going to continue. Uh, we think that's very, it may, it may continue for a while, it may not, but we think over time it becomes increasingly unlikely that it does and ultimately yeah. your portfolio has to be able to weather that. Yeah. All right. Um, ticking along, I think the next slide uh, just dealt with... Um, yeah, so this just says, to, for, the, for the privilege of us investing your money, we don't actually actually charge a lot. We have very competitive, and for, for the performance we're actually delivering, um, we're providing a great net of fee result for investors, and I think that's, that's important as I highlighted, and it's something that's worth paying for. Furthermore, we give investors an option in terms of how they want to pay us. If they don't want to pay much in the way of base fees unless we actually deliver them results, then we're happy to actually show people that they have that option uh, through a performance fee-orientated um, fee card. Um, so we are a very, um, as I mentioned, what do we provide for all, for all this? Well, um, we've highlighted that we actually provide um, a lot of um, potential um, um, 
benefits to investors that they simply can't do themselves. But we also access investment managers in many cases for much less than what um, investor could access them themselves, and hence, um, hence that effective fee cost gets reduced um, in, in the sense of what, what they're actually paying for our services to actually choose the managers. As a whole lot as well, it's, you know, if you can avoid just one mistake with investing in a fund manager, then that's a crucially you know, a massive advantage to investors and, uh, and, and actually the net result is much bigger than what the fee, uh, the fee costs are. Yeah. In terms of the, uh, one of the big issues uh, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and uh, certainly on the minds of uh, a lot of investors we've dealt with is uh, the U.S. elections. Um, you've, uh, have you got a, a strategy or a, an idea around um, sort of, uh, you know, potentially yep. a lot of volatility coming in, into that and out of that? Yeah, I think, I think there will be a lot of volatility coming into this. I think this is a risky period of time into the end of this year. Um, and the election, I think the divide in the electorate is massive. I, I think there's a substantive risk that the other, you know, the side, the losing side doesn't doesn't um, doesn't accept the re- election result. And with postal voting, etc., coming in late, uh, there may be quite a, a multi-week period where it's really uncertain what's going on. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know riding in the streets so to speak uh, in in real terms. So it is a very risky. This is definitely a risky election, um, and we're seeing that um, we're seeing that imputed into some market pricing, where the market would agree with that assessment. Um, but the the big picture, I think, you know, is, is a lot of people are focused on days you know, news of today and news of tomorrow. I think the big thing is well, what what will come out of the election? I think that there is a need here to move on from monetary policy. Monetary policy is not working at really supporting the economy properly. And I think um, and, and governments are, are much more likely, either wh- whoever gets in, to actually move towards wanting and are both willing to spend much more on, on fiscal stimulus. So I think we're going to see a more of a handoff to monetary, from monetary stimulus to monetary uh, stimulus combined with fiscal stimulus coming out of the election, and that will have a lot of, um, a lot of impact on underlying market pricing and, and some of the risks I was talking about before economically uh, in terms of the risk of um, a stagflationary type environment, etc., I do think one thing that you know I believe is that you know central planning doesn't really work very well at promoting economic, real economic growth. So just making government bigger and employing more public servants doesn't actually promote economic growth, unfortunately, um, yeah. but um, or, or sustainable ec- real economic growth. Uh, but it can it can actually produce um, you know some nominal economic growth for a period of time uh, and do other things uh, in the marketplace. And I think there's there's going to be a lot of opportunity coming out of what, what out of the election. Um, for investors such as ourselves who, who, who are cognizant of some of the, of the risks and opportunities that, that come out of that. Mm. You've, you've mentioned a, a need to sort of a, a think about things and you, you've, spoken, you've spoken about sort of continuously just about through the, through the session today of uh, doing things differently and that doing the same old thing that's worked for the past uh, you know, 10 or 20 years is, is, is not going to work uh, going forward. Um, you know, I would guess most uh, most self-managed super fund uh, investors would be would be sitting with uh, portfolios looking looking pretty similar, and you know, probably heavily invested into uh, a, a few a few banks and uh, diversified miners and and, and retailers. Um, what do you think the risk uh, you know the risk to them is, and 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 how do they go how do they go about you know restructuring that? 
Well, I think, you know, the, the risk is that, you know, obviously if you own equities in general, of any sort, is that equities take a dramatic tumble and there's a reappraisal of what's actually going on and that, you know, we get higher inflation or something coming through and that suddenly people realise that, hang on a second, uh, these valuations aren't sustainable or we have another shock. I mean, I think, I think our view is that we're going to see, uh, we've got a very speculative market and we're going to see um, continual ramp-ups and shocks hit the market that will get ups and downs that are quite dramatic and that investors may end up going nowhere over a multi-year period um, despite experiencing traumatic volatility and risk to their portfolio, whether that's uh, investing in the things you talk about or, or, other, or other equities. We do think you need to have um, some equities in a portfolio, and, and um, we, we, we think that the biggest bubble is actually in, in bonds and in, uh, in, on a long-term basis and, and in cash rates being where they're at. I mean, I think we might look back in 10 years' time and say this is remarkable that um, – that uh, with those economic circumstances and, and what happened, uh, that, that bond yields were so low and offered investors so little in the way of yield and that that bond bull market went on for so long. Um, so that, that could happen. Um, but uh, we think you know, it's important that obviously investors align their portfolios with their own toler risk tolerance. In many cases, I think they don't because when markets fall, we clearly see that everybody um, is very uncomfortable and we see most of the market you know, extrapolating past conditions and expecting them to continue. I think we are really at a turning point here and that if you don't redesign your portfolio and think about it very differently, um, yeah. you are at substantive risk of suffering very mediocre results and very substantive um, volatility in the next, you know, even the next, in the short term, but certainly over the medium to longer term from here. Yeah. Look, it's been uh, very interesting. I'll stick the uh, the final slide up there with the uh, the contact details uh, uh, for Lucerne Investment Partners. And um, if you uh, want to find get more information on uh, Jerome's fund, the Alternative Investment Fund, um, there are some contact details uh, on screen now. And uh, I'd encourage you to to go ahead and have a look at the website and um, make contact and uh, get more information about about the fund. Uh, Jerome, perhaps just uh, a last word from you. You look, you know, I think thank you if you've, if you've, um, if you've listened um, to the presentation today. I hope you've got something out of it at the very least. I always think if you get one or two good things out of the presentation, that's worthwhile. But I'd really encourage you to actually um, join up to the mailing list and um, follow us through time and see what we have to offer you. We, we, we absolutely are focused on our clients and getting them great results and actually um, delivering them something that they really can't do themselves. Um, so um, we think the only way to get exposure to that is, is to be involved. and. Um, and would, would love you to uh, join us on our journey. Very, very good. Thanks, uh, thanks again for your time uh, today, Jerome, and uh, thanks for everyone's time for, for logging on and uh, taking some uh, time over a Friday lunchtime to, uh, to listen to us, and uh, hopefully I think you uh, uh, could have taken away uh, a lot of valuable lessons uh, today. We are running a, uh, a product at the moment uh, that uh, deals with some of those um, issues that we've spoken about today. It's called uh, Dispersion. Um, if that's something that you would like more information on as well, just type in dispersion into your uh, into your little chat box. Um, other than that, enjoy the rest of your Friday afternoon. And Jerome, um, we'll chat soon. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you.